But friends, we are in this weekend remembering the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and His ascension. And you are right, this weekend is not about Easter. You say, do you celebrate Easter? And I'm going to shock you this morning by saying, no, I don't. I don't celebrate Easter because Easter has got a different meaning for me than what we are remembering this morning. So this weekend is not about Easter eggs. This weekend is not about the bunny. This is the weekend of chocolate. Who had a fair share of chocolate this weekend? Yeah, there's a few who's honest. Praise the Lord. There's a few who's honest. Can I give you a tip? A week from now, those expensive chocolates that you've purchased will be 70% off. <laughs> and that is when you put on the extra weight. That is when you go and buy them. And, and if you want to, you can stock them up for next year. But it's not about those things, friends. It's not about Easter. It's so commercialized. This weekend in the world, you can walk into stores and you can get Easter weekend bargains. And so the focus has been taken about, away about what this time of the year really is about. So if I do not celebrate Easter, what do I celebrate? Or I remember the death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. I remember when he was buried in a tomb, when Joseph of Arimathea came and took him off and put him in a tomb. And this morning I remember, I remember this morning the resurrection. It is so important. It is the most important doctrine in the Christian's life is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If he didn't raise from the grave, everything we do today here is nothing. You are wasting your time if He hasn't risen from the grave. If Christ had not risen from the dead, there would be no Christianity. None. There would be just a historical man who wanted to start a revolution and he died. How many of those do we have over the years? Many, plenty of them. Every country this morning on the face of the earth would have had somebody who was trying to have a revolution against the government. He was risen from the grave. If we had not arisen Christ this morning, our faith would be useless. Useless. And our hope will be invalid. There's no hope then for you. The whole gospel will be absurdity if there is no risen Christ this morning. And there would be no, listen to this, this for me is maybe the most important part of this whole resurrection. There would be no forgiveness of sin. And we would have still sit with the yoke of sin upon our shoulders. But this morning there is a living hope. I believe in a living hope and His name is Jesus Christ. And now we have a whole generation who's growing up without knowing what happened on this weekend. You know what the generation is growing up about these days? The Easter egg, the bunny, and the chocolate. 
Young children in our generation, this is a warning, this is a stark warning to every single person sitting in this church. If you call yourself a child of God, if you call yourself a Christian, this is a stark warning for you and for me. Friend, the world, the media is crying out this morning is commercial, but it needs to be about Christ. Now whose responsibility is it to carry it to the next generation? Is it the school's? You've got it wrong there because the schools are teaching your children a humanistic way today. Is it the government? No, because the government is only looking after themselves. So whose responsibility is it? It is your and my responsibility, parents, to teach our children the ways of Christ, to keep this weekend, to keep the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ alive in their hearts. It's your responsibility. Every single parent and grandparent, and they used to do that in the nation back in the day where that was passed on from one generation to another generation. You say, is it important? Because there's so many ignorant people in the world. But do you know that Jesus himself said, or God said that these times of ignorance has passed? In Acts chapter 17... We find Paul going to a city called Athens. It says in verse 16, Acts 17, 16, he says, Now while Paul walked, waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was given over to idols. Just think of this for a minute. Here is a man of God walking into the city, and he saw in Athens all of these statues to Roman gods. And you know what the Bible says? His spirit was provoked. I wonder if we walk in Melbourne and we see everything which is given over to idols, if your spirit is provoked to action. Do you know that this morning there will be souls going to an eternal hell without God? And they are worshipping idols? And here is the same with him. He says, he was provoked with him when he saw the city was given to idols. Now in verse 22, then, then what happens? He, he went in. He first started talking to the Jews and then he went in and he called all of the philosophers. You see these clever people in. He says, come. And they sat in the Iopagras, which is a small amphitheater. And they were filled with all of these philosophers. And here stands this man of God, Paul. Wasn't ashamed of Christ. No, no. At a later stage, he said that he is the power to, unto salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, he says. And now he stands with all of these intimidating, clever people of the world. Do you know a few? Oh, they just want to intimidate you with their knowledge. He walks in there and he starts this discussion with them. He says, then Paul stood up in the midst of the Apagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. There's a lot of religion going on in the world these days. You are very religious. Why? Because we see all of these things of religion. For as I was passing through and I considering the objects of your worship, even found an altar which was the inscription, the unknown God. You see, that's what they try to do. They cover all of the gods so that they don't miss one. And that's what people still are doing today. 
I will cover all of them because we're ignorant of Jesus Christ. But it's not where it stops. He goes on to say, Therefore the one whom you worship without knowing Him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it since He is our Lord in heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made of hands. And that's why. You know, people say, you're having a service in a funeral home. I had a call this morning, just before service, just before church. The phone rang. I was busy here sitting up, getting ready so that we can preach the word. And the phone rang. And it's a lady. And she said, uh, is this Pastor Shipman? I said, yes, it is. She said, are you having services in the funeral? I said, yes, that's right. She said, I might see you. Friends, it's not about the buildings. It's not about the buildings. This is not our building, and it could be a palace, it doesn't matter. In, in matter of fact, we can all go out and sit under a tree, and I can preach the Word of God. It is about the Word of God, it's about the Gospel. And here he goes, he says it himself, he says, He who lives in things not made by hands. Now listen to this. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Why are you living and is alive in 2017? Have you thought about that? Why are you here today? I've heard so many people over the years say, Oh, if only I could live in Paul's day. It would have been great to see Paul. Oh, if only I was alive in Jesus' day and I could see him for myself. You know what the scripture verse says? It is pre-appointed for you to live today. How wonderful is that? You see, because God has got a purpose and a plan for you today. Everybody here, everybody, every single person, even Tom, you know, where he goes, there's a circle of influence. And God has put you today into that circle of influence so that you influence the people around you. This is your time. This is your time. Not tomorrow, not yesterday. Listen, listen to me this morning, listen. Listen. Your circumstances which you are in today is ordained, preordained by God. Now, it might not be good circumstances and you would say, why God? If you ask that question, He's got the answer, it's in the Word of God. You need to go and find the answer. But it's your predestined time right now in your circumstances. Somebody once asked me, why does people get cancer? Doesn't God know about this? I say, yes, He knows. But cancer came in not because God let it in. It came in because of sin that entered into the world and gets into this fallen nature. But now when we look at it, we say, Lord, what do you want to teach through that? You see, this is the time for each one of us is now. So why? So why is the time? Why are you and I here today? Have you asked yourself that question? Why are you here today? Is it to get a job? Is it to make money? Is it to build a house, to get fame, to get your work colleagues to talk about you and praise you? Is that what it's all about? No, listen to this, what Paul says. He says in verse 27, So that they should seek the Lord. Is that what you are doing? 
Your purpose on this earth is to do what? To seek the Lord. Have you heard me clearly this morning? Am I speaking in an understandable English this morning? There's no other things. It's not to get attached to a person, a church, a pastor, a movement, a job. All of those things is, is good. Is good because God, but your and my purpose on this earth is to seek Him. And now he continues on. He says, In the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. Now I want to get to this verse. He says in verse 30, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man, listen, the man whom He has ordained. Who's that man? Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? He has given assurance of this to all by raising Him from the dead. Jesus Christ is our living hope. It's Him. And that's where we get to our study this morning. I want to talk about the living hope in 1 Peter. If we look through this this morning, the way of the cross, Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. And you remember when He prayed there, it says that His sweat drops became like blood. He prayed for you and for me. He said, Father, this cup, He took the cup of wrath of God so that we don't have to take it. In the upper room, He was washing the feet of the disciples. And we know what Judas Iscariot did. He betrayed Him. That was the last meal. I find Him then before the high priest and before Pilate. And then they condemned Him to the cross. Then I see Him on the cross hanging there. And Joseph of Arimathea take His body and down and put Him and bury Him. And three days later, the tomb was empty because He has arisen from the grave. When they came there, the tomb close was lying there. And His head... His head, napkin which they put around the dev's head, was folded one side. You know, over the years, there are so many conspiracy theories. They say that somebody found the actual uh, grave clothes. That's nonsense. I don't believe in that. They say that his body disappeared in gases. That's what the Jehovah Witnesses say. That's not true. They say that his disciples came and st stolen the body. How could they do with a guard of Roman soldiers and the, the tomb was sealed by the emperor's hand? No, no. He has risen from the grave. And then there were witnesses who saw him and he ascended on high. But I want to this morning go after the cross and I want to look at a statement that Peter made, one of the apostles. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again. You see what it says there? He says His abundant mercy, He has begotten us again. The word for abundant day comes from the Greek word pulos. And you know what pulos means? It's a large number. A large number of mercy. You know what mercy means? Mercy means not getting what we deserve, and that is death. 
It is death. We deserve death, but, but it, it, we didn't get that. It comes from the Greek word ilios, which means good, will. And it is associated with a desire to help the miserable and the afflicted. So, with this good will and, and helpful of his, Jesus Christ, He has begotten us again. And you know that means He has born us again. Born us again. That is why we're talking about being born again. In John chapter 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. But who started that? Who opened up the door for us? Jesus Christ did. I love this statement from Peter. It's a long statement if you look at it. It's a long sentence, but within that, friends, we can preach out of each in every one of these lines. And what did he do? He begotten us again to what? To a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hence we say that without the resurrection there is no gospel. But now we see that He has been risen from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. Reserved for you in heaven. You know what we work for? We work on this earth for things that fade away. I remember when I was a young man, I was uh, 14 or 15 years old, and I started working at a panel beater just to get some pocket money. Uh, and I worked. You didn't get a lot of money. I think it was something like, in, it was rands. It was something like 11 rands, 80 cents, which would have equated that time to something like $5.20. So I worked a whole week for $5.20, $5.20. And, and man, I was so happy at a Friday afternoon when I get in a little brown, I still remember, envelope, and there was cash in there. And I would get that cash and i go, wow, that's a lot of money. And you know what young people do? What do they do with money? Come on. They spend it. By Saturday evening, how much of my $5.25 do I have left? None. And I have lollies in my tummy and I can't even taste it anymore. But then one day I was walking past a clothes store and I saw this jacket and I go, wow, that is a fantastic jacket. I want that jacket. So I worked it out then. So I would spend $2 on lollies and the $3.25 I would put away. And I would save and save and save. And how many weeks did I work? A lot of weeks. Until one day I had enough and I went and the jacket was still there. And I purchased this jacket. Man, it was the most beautiful jacket I've ever had. And you know what? I bought it for myself. I felt so proud about it. And I started wearing that jacket wherever I went. If I put it on, man, summer came along, what happens? I found a reason to wear the jacket. Sweat was going down my face, but the jacket I wear. And then my mom one day walked past me and says, Oh, there's something smelly going on here. <laughs> we need to wash the jacket. So we put the jacket in and it washes and washes. I put it on and it goes on. But after a while, what happens with the jacket? It doesn't look that good anymore, is it? It was withering away. And my heart was broken. This, this jacket of mine that I loved so much is withering away. And that because, friends, we are living in a world that is withering away. Can't you understand that? Your car that you love. Man, currently I'm driving a V8. I love it. You know, it's, it's a Commodore V8. I love it. 
But Oscar is telling me if the miles goes up, what's the fuel? Uh, what's the oil? Because the engine starts burning the oil. And man, I love that car, but I'm thinking, oh, it's like that jacket. Eventually, one day, it's going to wither away. What about the house you're living in? How many times do you have to paint the thing? And then a storm comes over and it pulls on every single thing. It withers away. But let me give you one more. Have you seen me 10 years ago? <laughs> Ask my wife. She saw me 20 years ago, 28 years ago. I'm not the man I used to be. <laughs> Neil, am I talking right here, right? We're not the people we used to be. Even your body is withering away. Yes? Have you, have you watched in the mirror lately? You know, I'm looking in there and I say, oh, I could barely still recognize that guy. <laughs> but here we find something he's talking about. He's talking about a living hope which is an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away. Wouldn't you like to have something like that? I found it. I found it. It's a living hope. Reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. Who knows the power of God? Have you seen the power of God? We see nature. And if nature do something which has done up in Queensland, with the cyclone coming over, what do they say? It was an act of God. And then man stands astonished by what? The power of God. But let me tell you something this morning. Listen to me this morning. We ain't seen nothing yet. We haven't seen just the spot of the power of God. God is more powerful than that. We will start seeing it when we study further through the book of Revelation. The power of God. But here it's a good power. Why? Because it keeps our inheritance, our living hope. We continue in verse 6. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Is that you? Can you testify that, to that this morning? Trials that come your way? He says, Now, just for a short while, that the genuineness of your faith. Now, why do we go through trials? You know, I often say to people, it's not as if God sits on His throne and He does away and He sleeps and then He looks down just through and, and He goes, Oh, goodness, what's happening to my child down there? It's not that God. God doesn't sleep. No. You see, we go through trials, friends, that the genuineness of our faith, being much more than precious gold or silver, that though it be tested by fire, might be what? Might be found to praise, honor, glory, and the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the genuineness of your faith. We go through trials so that our faith is built. I know that there are people sitting in this room who are going through trials in their lives. And sometimes you might say, but why God? Why? Why this? How come is this happening? Take hope this morning that it builds faith, the genuineness of your faith, so that we may give praise, honor, and glory 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I hurry on in verse 8. He says, Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see Him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. There's three words here that is standing out for me. The words faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. And we find these all over the Bible. We find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 13. He says, and now abide in faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest is love. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 2, he says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing, what? Your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. So patience is associated with hope. Why? Because it talks into the future. He talks about labor of love. Labor means it costs you something. You have to give something up. That's labor and your work of faith. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 But let us who are, are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and of love. Did you know that faith is a breastplate protecting your vital organs, your heart? And then he goes on to say that the helmet of hope, what is in, in, in the mind? It is your mind, is what you think. And there is a helmet that protects that. So these three to me is really important, but the biggest of them, the one who carries hope this morning, or is hope, or the heaviest weight is hope. Now let's quickly have a look at them. First of all, faith. He says, we are kept by the power of God through faith. That the genius of your faith, being much more precious than gold or silver, what do happen? That it may be found to praise, honor, and glory, the revelation of Jesus. And then it says in verse 9, and last verse, he says, Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we find a definition for faith. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So here are things that we do not see. Listen to him when he says, he says, now you do not see him, yet you believe. Do you see Jesus in a physical body today? That's why the world don't believe. They want to see Jesus. He says, now while you do not see him, yet you believe. And that is the definition of faith, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is taking hold of the unseen and prevents us from giving too much heed to the visible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Paul says, We walk by faith and not by sight. It's not the things we see, it's what we believe. Though now we do not see Him, we believe. But you see, the thing about faith, faith is not a feeling or a force. And faith has got three foundations. Just have a look at this. He says, the first one, the first foundation is a knowledge of the truth. That gives you faith. And where do we find that knowledge? In the Word of God. The knowledge of the truth. You can't have faith in something if you don't know about it. Can you? You can't fear something if you don't know about it. It is the knowledge. The second one is the agreement of the truth. You need to agree with the truth to have faith. 
That's why a lot of people say, I don't believe, I can't see what you see. is because they don't agree with the Bible. They, they dispute things. You know, you come to them and you say, listen, what you're doing is wrong according to the Word of God. And they say, I don't believe it. Well, they can't build faith. And then, the dependence on the true God. Now, let me explain it to you in this way. And I think I've said it last week, but I'll say it again. If we take a chair, because this is the thing, the power does not lie in faith. Somebody comes and they say, oh, you've got great faith. Yes, but where is the power of my faith? It lies in the object. It lies in the object. So if I take a chair, for instance, you are all sitting on the chairs. Do you have faith that the chair can hold you? Where's the power? Is it in your faith or in the chair? It's in the chair because the chair is strong enough. For us as children of God, where is our object of faith? Jesus Christ. This is why we say, if you have the knowledge of Jesus Christ, your faith will be strong. And if you're in agreement, your faith will be strong. There's a lot of people who know about Jesus, even the Muslims do, but they don't have faith in Him. They don't agree with Him. So that's why they don't have that faith. So the object of their faith is in Allah, which is not a God. It's a false God. But our faith is in a true God. And this is where the strength lies in faith. The power is in, uh, of faith is in the object. So then, hope. That's the second one. He says, He begot us again to a living hope. Hope is taking hold of the future. It prevents us from giving too much attention to that which is temporal and present. It holds the future. Hope is the reward for faith. If you have faith, you will have hope. If you do not have faith, you will have no hope. Think about that. And here, it prevents us too much to put too much attention on the temporal things of today. It is hope that differentiates us from the animals. Think of that. Have you ever walked up to a sheep and say, where is your hope? They can't. The kangaroos, the cows. I mean, you can try your best. You'll walk up to them and you say, hey, I want to talk to you about tomorrow. Do you know your future a week from now, Mr. Cow? And what will they say? <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> This differentiates us, friends. Let me ask the question this morning. Where is your hope? One of the worst places you can be is a hopelessness. No hope. I'm preaching this morning to you about hope. About Jesus, who's alive. But you go to the monkeys and they can't tell you about tomorrow. They just live from day to day. But let me say this. I see human beings who live like this. I see them. I walk amongst them. And look, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm praying for them. I, ask, I say, Lord, please send them to come and listen to the gospel. But there's people who operate like animals. But no, no what, you know, I'm not surprised by that because they teach our children in school that we came from the animals. Yes? It's called evolution. I don't believe that. My great, 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 great granddad is not a monkey. I'm not a monkey. 
I've got no signs where they chopped the tail off somewhere along the line. No, no, God created us according to His image, to His image and His likeness. And you know what is part of that creation? Hope. But hope starts with faith. So this morning, do you believe really that Jesus Christ died on the cross and is risen from the grave? That is part of the faith. You need to agree with that truth. You need to find that truth. And that builds your faith. And once your faith is built, it gives you hope. But we are walking amongst people who has got no hope. And you see how it's manifested. They will kill somebody else just for the sake of it. And let me tell you, let me warn you, friends, it's getting worse. It's not getting better. I came to Melbourne six years ago, and I'm telling you now, the home evasions, the killings, the stuff that's happening in this city is alarming. And it's not getting better. The only one who can make it better is our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's Him that I preach. And it's He that gives me hope this morning. And again, the object of our hope is Jesus Christ. We shall see Him as they saw Him. Oh, we've got a song like that, and I love that song. You see, when we think about this, people think about how we will see Him hanging on the cross. No, no, no. I'm going to see Him like John saw Him in the book of Revelation. We shall see Jesus just as they saw Him. There is no greater glory than that. When He returns in power and glory, we shall see Jesus just as they saw Him. I'm looking forward to that day. That gives me that hope. Then we talk about love. Now, love comes from that word agape. That is the Greek word agape. Agape means it's a sacrificial love. And He gave His life for us. There's only one who can ascribe that life to. It's Jesus Christ who gave His life for us. Now, when He says this, listen carefully. He says that the Holy Spirit comes and He pours out love into our hearts. Once you are born again at the cross, that's where it starts. You bow at the cross and then He saves you. Guess what happens next? He pours His love inside of you through the Holy Spirit. And that word for love there, my friends, is the word agape. He pours into our hearts agape. That is why you find missionaries who will go to the ends of the world and they will die proclaiming Jesus' name to the people. It is a sacrificial love. You see, love takes hold of the unselfish and the divine. That is God. And it prevents us from being absorbed in a bodily and adulterous self-interest, which is the order of the day. Now, let me finish by saying this. Understanding this gives us, understanding everything I said this morning, which is faith, hope, and love, gives us this. It says, though now you do not see Him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And I want to make a statement today. I want to say today that there is no one, you have to be a child of God to be experiencing this joy. The world cannot experience this joy. The world's joy lasts only for a short while and then it disappears. 
And you know what happens? Then they try to get it again. And then they go a little bit further. This is why people indulge into drugs, into alcohol, into whatever thing you can think of. is just to get some kind of joy. And that joy just lasts for a short time. And then you go further and further and further. And instead of having joy, you're breaking up families, you're breaking up relationships, and you are breaking up yourself, seeking for that one joy which only God can bring. You see, when I as a young believer read this verse, I said, Lord, what are you talking about here when you say, you rejoice, you rejoice with joy inexpressible. It's only a Christian who can have this joy. Only a child of God can have this joy. Listen, it's now for more than 10 years that I've been pastoring, friends, and I've been sitting at deathbeds where people pass away. And I sat at some of these deathbeds where I see the joy still in the family around the death. And I say, where can you find this joy in the midst of trouble? But you see, there's a hope and full of glory. So why are we so happy? You say, why are Christians so happy? Let me give you a few reasons. Our sin is forgiven. And you should shout hallelujah by now. Your sin is forgiven. Acts chapter 13, 38. Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. If I can think about sins that I did in my life and I start telling you, you'll, you'll say, what? What, you? I, re I remember I, I was at school and, and one of my school friends, I was standing up one day in the church in, in Clagstop, South Africa, and the first time I was allowed to preach to the church, one of my old school friends came in and they sat at the back. And this is a testimony afterwards. They said, is that really John Shipman up there? Really? Now, I'm not trying to say to you how good I am. I'm just blessed by His amazing grace that saved a sinner like me, that forgave my sin and cleansed me. The other reason we are so happy and joyful is we are free from the slavery of sin. John chapter 8, 34, Jesus answered them, Moses, surely I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to that sin. We are walking around in a world full of slaves. Would you like it when I enchain you? Would you like it when I chain you as you walk in here and I say, man, grab that person and chain them and make them a slave of, of some kind of thing? No, no. We as people want to break free from that. But it amazes me how we are so happy to be slaves of sin. That thing is constantly with you. Wherever you go, it's that thing that says, do it, do it. You don't want to do it, but you do it. And you feel so dirty and you feel so filthy afterwards. But you know what? And you say, I'm not going to do it again. And guess what happens next time? That old slave master is pulling on that chain and it pulls you in and you're a slave again. But listen, this is where joy comes when that chain has been broken and they can't pull you back again. We are delivered from our fear. That gives us joy. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. 
You know what this is? This is the fear of the future. How many people truly can sit here today and say, I'm not fearing the future? What's going to happen? Oh, Donald Trump is now, you know, the president of America. Now the world's going to come to an end. He's going to push the button. He's going to push the button. And the whole world's going to go into war, and then we're all going to starve. Well, guess what? It didn't happen. Yet. <laughs> what about tomorrow? Oh, you know, things are happening at my job. They are changing around now. My job is now not more secure. Man, I'm so worried. What's going to happen to us tomorrow? What's going to happen there? Maybe they're going to come and tap me on the shoulder and tell me this. This is all fear. Fear of man. What about that? Walking into a work and, and is afraid of your boss, is afraid of people around you, the fear that walks with you. There's so many fears. Fear of death. Fear of death. Oh, I'm so afraid to die. And that grabs people on. And you know what the child of God says? Because he died, I may live. Yes, I might physically die, but I'm alive. And I'll hurry on because he says, also we know that we will live forever with him. 1 John chapter 2, 17, And the world is passing away and the last of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. We know that we are children of God and that gives us joy. 1 John chapter 1, verse 12, But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. These things gives the child of God joy inexpressible and full of glory. We've got a song that we sing and I love it and I might put it in in the wrong key and if you're a musician here today, a music, musician here today, don't listen to it but we sing a song and we continue on with it. On and on and on. It's a joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It's a joy unspeakable and full of glory, and the half has never yet been told. Oh man, and then we will clap your hands and we will start again. It's a joy unspeakable and full of glory. In New Zealand we went to a camp, a church camp, and we sang this song. And we had a marquee tent. And you know what happens? Where I was standing in the front, I was leading the worship because I love to worship, friends. Because the joy of God is in your hearts. And I stood there and we had lights on the inside of the tent. And I could see that all the people were in the tent of the church. But as I looked outside and where light meets darkness, there was a line all around and sooner than later, I saw some feet coming. And you could just see the feet. And you could, I couldn't see them. The light was bright on the inside. It was dark. But I knew there were people standing out there, looking at these people under the tent. And you know we sang that song. We sang that song. It's a joy unspeakable and full of glory. Full of glory. And these people were standing there and looking at it. Friends, this is no joy that the world can give. It's a joy that He gives. And then they couldn't stand any longer and some of them started walking in. They want to be part of that. The world is looking for joy, but at the wrong place. I present to you this morning the right place, the living hope, the one who died at the cross for our sins. Praise the Lord. I want to declare this morning that I love Him. 
I want to declare to you this morning that He is alive and well. I want to say to you this morning, friend, there is only one way for you and for me. It's Him. And as we come to the table this morning and take the emblems, I'm reminded of what Paul says. He said, that which I received from the Lord, that which I also delivered to you, that is what I give to you. You see, what did, what did Paul receive from the Lord? All of that which I preach to you today. Praise the Lord. You can take it, brother. We'll pray after.